to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to open up in prayer today before we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And I got a little note from Miss Sandy. Uh, let's pray for Jenny, uh, a lady battling cancer, a young mother of three. So as we pray uh, this morning, we're going to pray uh, for her as well. So let's bow our heads together. Father, when we think about just who you are, God, we are humbled. Uh, we are just amazed, God, at your greatness, your glory, your power, your love and compassion. Even what Pastor Jim read this morning in our call to worship that, yes, God, you are righteous and you are a God of wrath. And yet, God, you bestow your love and your kindness upon your people. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for forgiveness. And Father, now we thank you for your word that we have the opportunity to open and to read and study. And God, that you would illuminate the truth of your word through your spirit. God, give us ears to hear today. God, open up hearts, open up our minds. May we be transformed through the power of the gospel, the power of your truth. And then, Father, we do want to pray for this young lady, Jenny, that uh, what a, uh, just a difficult adversity before her of cancer, a, a dreaded disease, that the, the fallenness of our world, we know, Father, that these are things that, that we face. And God, we pray for your comfort and God, that you would be magnified, that you would minister to her and her kids and her family. And Father, we pray your healing hand upon her. And Father, we pray for her salvation if she is not in the faith. And so God, minister to that need, minister to that family. And we ask all these things in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. You know, when we think about the kingdom of God, I was reminded of our missionary friend, Carlos. One thing that Carlos always taught us on our mission trips is we should pray for God to surprise us. Our God is a God who is saving his people for himself of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he's called us as his followers to, we are a part of that. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And so we should always be praying, God, be glorified. God, may your gospel go forth. God, use us. Use this little church in Okeechobee, Florida, for the glory of your name, for the salvation of souls. And Carlos taught us that every time we would go on a mission trip to just be fervent in prayer, trusting God to do what only he can do. And I want you to know this morning, this is the key truth from the passage. God has, God is, and God always will build his kingdom in surprising, unexpected ways for his glory and for the good of his people. Our God is faithful. Our God is good. Our God is always working even when we can't see it. So let's go to Mark 4 and let's read 26 through 34. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, and at once, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now let's start with a little bit of background in that word kingdom. When we see the kingdom of God, you should immediately think this is the rule of God over his people, over his realm. As Psalms 115.3 says, God is the king. He sits on his throne and he does as he pleases. Our God is sovereign. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules in the heavens, and he established his kingdom on the earth. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we see God establishing his kingdom of Adam and Eve. But we also know that there was Satan, and Satan was cast out of heaven because he came against the kingship of God, and he's cast down. And through the temptation, we know that Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They rebelled against God and his rule. And sin enters into the world, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we talked last week, Genesis 3.15, that it didn't catch God by surprise. God sends his son, the Messiah, Jesus, to rescue his people from their sin. And you can go all throughout the Old Testament, and you see our God rescuing a people for himself. He chooses Israel, not because they were so great, not because they were mighty, not because they were good, but as Deuteronomy 7 tells us, God simply chose them by his grace. He lavished his grace upon them, and he called them to represent him to the ends of the earth. How did they do in that? Well, not very good at times. They rebelled, and they sinned against God, but yet we know through Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the promises, all the covenants, and we get to King David, and ultimately, who comes from the line of David? It's Jesus, the Messiah. And so then Jesus comes in very humble beginnings, right? You go to the Gospel of Matthew, you go to the Gospel of Luke, and we see that Jesus is born. He takes on flesh, fully God, fully man, the eternal one, takes on flesh, and he's born there in a humble stable placed in a manger. God the king is a little baby boy. So when we think about the kingdom of God, it's surprising, it's unexpected, but we need to understand our God is king. 
He's always ruled and reigned, and he continues to rule and reign. And when we think about Jesus, we come to his public ministry, Mark 1.15. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom is here. It's now. Jesus is ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, you need to turn from your sin, you need to repent, and you need to look to Christ. You need to put your faith and trust in the only one that can save you, the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we look at the life of Jesus and you study the Gospels, you see his power. You see his authority. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's showing compassion. He shows his power over nature. We're going to see that in the next passage in the Gospel of Mark of how he calms the winds the storm there at sea and ultimately he's granting salvation new birth to all that trust in him think about us today as a local church think about pastor doug and what he's been preaching through the book of acts we see the kingdom of god advancing through his people you know in acts chapter one the holy spirit comes uh, upon god's people and they now have power and they take the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And we're continuing to do that today through the local church of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Think about what Pastor Jim shared today. We talked about Zanzibar and we talked about Ghana and Chad and all these places around the world that Jesus is being magnified today. He's working, guys. He's working all over the world today, and he's working right here in Okeechobee, Florida. Revelation eleven fifteen says this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Our God reigns, and he will reign. He will establish the new heavens and the new earth. And so you've got this already principle that Christ is king. He's ruling and reigning in and through his people, the Lord of our hearts. And yet we know that there's coming a day when death's going to be defeated. Sin has already been defeated on the cross, but we're going to see the consummation of that, of the second coming of Christ. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Christ puts an end to all of it. And I hope that causes you to jump up and down on the inside, Pastor Jim, because that is our God. That is his kingdom. So when we look at these two parables today, and we think about how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the kingdom that we're talking about today. So the first truth, before we look at verse 26, only God don't miss this. Only God can cause his kingdom to grow. Only God can cause his kingdom to grow. Guys, it's not through our man-made strategies. It's not through our great plans. It's not because of CRT and intersectionality, all these things that we're seeing before us. It's not because of modern day psychology. It's not because of our scientific advancements. It's not because of medicines. It's not because of any of these man-made accomplishments. 
It's simply a work of God's grace. You see, Charles Finney, an American revivalist, he didn't understand that. If you study church history here in America in the 1800s, he thought that revival was not simply a work of God, but it was a work of man. Here's what he said, Charles Finney. We can have a revival whenever we faithfully use the means of grace that God has appointed. Now, we should use the means of grace that God has given, but here's where he goes really wrong. There's nothing miraculous and nothing supernatural about revival. Like, what? A revival is scientific. He's basically saying he could use his communications skills, his methods, man's ways to get people to come to faith in Christ. Let me tell you this morning, if you come to faith in Christ because of me, you got the wrong faith. It's not faith in Christ. You got a counterfeit gospel. You got a counterfeit faith. Only God can save you from your sin. Not because I'm a great speaker, not because anybody out here is a great speaker. So let's see, was Finney right in what he said? Because when you look at a, mo a lot of modern day evangelism today, Finney kind of laid the foundation of a lot of the things that we see in American church life. Let's go to verse 26. Let's let the word of God speak for itself. Verse 26. Here's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So Jesus is talking about his kingdom. I've already explained what that is. And he says it's like the scattering of seed on the ground. Well, we've learned what is the seed. The seed is the word of God. We are responsible. We are called as Christians to be seed flingers, to be seed scatterers. You know, I was talking to Jimbo earlier, the gentleman I met yesterday, that Jimbo had scattered some seed in this gentleman's life. Chimo, others. That's what we are responsible to do. We scatter the seed. But you know what? Only God can cause that seed to grow. Now, some have tried to say this. Live the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, let me tell you this morning. Yes, you do need to live the gospel. We should have the heart, mind, and attitude of Jesus in all we do. But you know what? You have to use words. It's the word of God that brings dead hearts to life. We have to share the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with people. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. People don't get saved apart from a work of God's grace through his spirit, through the power of the gospel, his word, his truth. So yes, be an example, be a testimony in how you live, but we do need to share the gospel with words. Verse 27, he goes on to say, this man, this farmer, he sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but he knows not how. So think about that. This man, this farmer, he puts the seed out there. 
you know, is any farmer's going to do? He goes about his business. I mean, he's probably uh, tilling the ground. He's watering, fertilizing, all those things. Uh, his daily activities, which we should do. There's surely nothing wrong with that. And we are responsible, you know, to live out our faith in Christ. But look at what it says. You know, he sleeps. He does his activities. But then the seed, it sprouts and it grows. And he's like, I don't know how. For those that are farmers or gardeners, have you ever wondered, why did this one seed sprout, but this other one didn't? I mean, it kind of did all the same stuff. Now, granted, I'm not much of a gardener, so this is a little bit out of my league, but you know, you, you take care of the soil, you do what you're supposed to do, one seed sprouts and one doesn't. How does a physical seed germinate? Can I make it really simple for you? We don't have to go into all the biology and the science. Okay, there, there is that part of it. But you know how a seed germinates? God. If God doesn't want that seed to germinate physically, guess what? It's not going to germinate. It's not going to come alive. God is the only one. That tree right there, who made that tree grow? Whenever that seed first germinated god it really is that simple verse 28 it goes on to say the earth produces by itself first the blade then the ear then the full grain in the ear now that little phrase produces by itself that kind of grabbed my attention as I was studying. The Greek word there is automatos. It means without something to cause it or self-caused. It grows by itself. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 10. There's a cross reference here. Same Greek word that's going to be used in Acts 12, 10. Now, this is when Peter had been in prison for preaching the gospel. He's set free. It's a miraculous act of God. And look at verse 10 as he's leaving the prison there, leaving the city. Acts 12, 10, it says, When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. That's the same Greek phrase. It opened for them of its own accord. Who opened that gate? It was God. Who causes the seed to germinate in the earth? It's God. It's automatic. And that's what it's getting at. I can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. Only God can make it happen. And so it goes on to say they went out, they went along one street, and immediately the angel left them there so go back to mark chapter four that was awesome i was like I was, when i read that i was like mind blown of just as god caused this gate to open it's the same greek phrase that god is the one who causes the seed to germinate act 16 4 you don't have to turn there but it says the lord opened lydia's heart and she believed it was the work of god's grace every growing salt in a farmer's field is a miracle 
And any farmer that is submitted to God is going to give God all honor, glory, and praise for his crops. And let me say this this morning, because I don't think we really appreciate this. I'll, I'll speak for myself. Every single person, man, woman, boy, and girl that comes to faith in Christ is a miracle, a supernatural work of God. And we should praise God. We should be saying hallelujah, praise the Lord every time we see God bring a dead heart to life. It's called regeneration. It's new birth. It's be, to be born from above. You can study John chapter 3. That is our God. Saving wicked, wretched sinners, taking our dead hearts and making us alive in Christ. Now, when that happens, verse 29. So we see, let me back up, verse 28. It produces, you've got the blade, so you got the sheath. The blade comes out of the ground. Then there's the ear, and then there's the full grain in the ear, so you've got the fruit, or it's the corn, depending on your translation. Verse 29, when the grain is then ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So then there's this work to be done of gathering in the harvest. Guys, when God saves someone, we then, we teach them, and we love them, and we pray for them, and we are pouring the gospel into them. I mean, before they come to faith in Christ, we are watering the soil with our 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 tears of just prayers of being fervent, knowing that only God can change their heart, but we're praying faithfully. And then when they come to faith in Christ, by God's grace, we continue to pray and we love them and we teach them the ways of the Lord. So here's the application of God, how he only he can grow his kingdom. We should sow the seed of the gospel abundantly. The power really is in the gospel. And then we pray, we water the seed with our tears. We fervently pray for God to do a work that only he can do. And then only God can bring a dead sinner's heart to life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5. Let me turn there real quick. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. When we think about the kingdom, if you've never read through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and I would encourage you to read that and you'll see everything I'm talking about. But let's look at specifically verses four and five. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So we're spiritually dead in sin, in trespasses. Look at what it says. God is the one made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Just like God is the one who causes that physical seed to germinate, to come to life, he's the one that causes a dead heart to come to life. It's called regeneration, the new birth. John Phillips, the commentator, said this, the most zealous believer, so the believer that's most on fire for the Lord, can no more convert a soul than he could create a star. The most zealous believer can no more convert a soul than he could create a star. Can any of y'all create a star? Nope. Can any of you convert somebody's soul to Jesus? Nope. So take the pressure off yourself. Just pray for people, love them, live out the gospel, and share the truth of God's word and leave the results to God. It's not 
It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on God. Because sometimes we may, well, I wish I'd have said this. I wish I'd have said that. Oh, I probably didn't say that right. Okay, yeah, you can evaluate and mature in how you share the gospel. But understand, I mean, I could be up here messing everything up. And if God wants to work and save through the power of his word, he's going to do it. That's how Spurgeon came to faith in Christ. It was a lay person who just kept reading the same verse over and over. And God used that to bring Charles Spurgeon to faith in Christ. It's really that simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Flip over there real quick. If you're not convinced yet, one last cross-reference, then we'll move to the, the next truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 through 9. I mean, we see this kingdom of God and how God works all throughout the scriptures. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Did you catch that? The Lord assigned. Verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered. So there's responsibility that we have. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God is the one who brings the growth. Now let's go to the second truth this morning. So hopefully we've seen from this parable the short story of Jesus of using something earthly to teach us spiritual truth that only God can cause his kingdom to grow. The second truth that we'll see in verses 30 through 32 is God chooses to grow his kingdom through small, humble, unexpected ways. Small, humble, unexpected ways. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4 the parable of the mustard seed and verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? So Jesus is like, okay, what's another parable here, a natural way to be able to articulate or to teach what the kingdom of God is? Is Jesus going to say it's about a large army? Is Jesus going to say it's about pomp and circumstance of great palaces and great horses and all of these things. No. Jesus uses a mustard seed <laughs> to talk about his kingdom. A mustard seed. I'm sure the disciples were like, a mustard seed? So let's talk about that a little bit. Verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Now, some have attacked this verse of saying, well, Jesus, actually, let me correct you. The mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. Guys, please do not do that. We, we, we don't correct Jesus. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all, okay? He's not making a mistake here. Let's understand the context of the passage, okay? At the end of the day, let me help you when it comes to the Bible. 
Jesus is always right and we are always wrong. Okay, if you'll remember that, you'll be good. Okay, it's about us, by God's grace, through the Spirit, submitting and coming to understand the truth of God's Word. And so in this passage, let's do a little bit of digging to understand. In the first century, Jesus in this Jewish cultural context, he's talking about gardening, planting, okay? He's not talking about every seed known to mankind. He's talking about, in Palestine, the seeds that they would use for their farming and their gardening. And when you understand the context of that, you know what the smallest seed that they were aware of? It was the mustard seed, okay? It wasn't the barley seed, the wheat seed, the lentils, the beans. All those seeds were much larger. It was the mustard seed, which was like the grain, uh, a grain of sand. That's what Jesus is referring to. He's making a point to his Jewish audience that this small little mustard seed is going to become something that's unexpected. It's supernatural. And you guys may think I was being like facetious earlier, but as I was listening to a sermon, there was a man who actually gave up his faith because he felt like Jesus was wrong on this. Okay, that's the context, okay? So we're not going to argue with Jesus about biology and all of these things. Understand the context of his audience, and he's talking about Palestine at that particular time. All right, verse 32. So this small mustard seed says, Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants. Typically, garden plants don't become this large. It's these mustard seeds, the plants could grow to 12 to 15 feet. And look at what it goes on to say. It puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. I want you to, let's, let's go back a little bit to the humble beginnings of Christianity. Jesus came, as I mentioned earlier, born in a stable, in a manger. It was surprising. It was unexpected as far as the way that he came. We knew Jesus was coming. But to be born out with the animals, there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the end. It was a very small, humble beginning. Think about the 12 disciples of Jesus. We discussed this before. They were probably not the cream of the crop, as they say. But Jesus chose them anyway. He didn't have a massive army. He had 12 men that he chose to be the ones that were going to further his kingdom. Even when Jesus ascended back to heaven after his resurrection, there was only around 120 disciples there in Acts 1. Woo, we got 120. We're going to change the world with 120. But then the Holy Spirit comes and in Acts chapter 2, guys, Doug's already preached on this. Peter preaches and 3,000 get saved in one day. It's on. This small little mustard seed, we are beginning to see the explosive exponential growth. Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 come to faith through John and Peter, they're preaching. The church is being added to daily. 
Story after story could be told throughout church history of God saving his people, building his kingdom, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I want you to think about Little Everglades Baptist Church here. You guys may or may not know, this church was started in 2004. It was planted by Oakview Baptist Church. There was around 10 or 12 people. Drew, Christy, I think you guys were actually a part of that. Little group of people that God had placed it on their heart to plant a church in this side of town. And there was a mission house right over here, right? Yep, right there. That's where it started, just in a house. Little group of people praying, studying the word, Sean and Mary Bergen, just being faithful. 2004, let's see, it's 2021, so 17 years later, here we are. And you may say, well, we haven't really gotten, gotten very far because now we're meeting outside. <laughs> Praise God for this property, amen? amen? Praise God. I mean, look around. Think about the hundreds of lives that have been changed through the power of the gospel, through the life of this little church, and God gets all the glory. I mean, I could, I could spend hours right now. I could give testimony of so many of you guys. Miss Sandy, I see you sitting there. God's good, isn't he? Took your dead heart and brought you to life in Christ. And don't even just think about just the group here. Think about all of the outreaches and the ministry that's happened out into our community. Think about all the missionaries that Pastor Jim mentions to us, of John and Ari, Greg and Kilby, Carlos and Lily, and I could go on and on. God gets all the glory, but guys, thousands of lives have been changed through the life of this little church. The grain, the mustard seed, like a grain of sand. And God takes it and he builds his kingdom in surprising, unexpected ways. And I pray God's not done with us, right? May we continue to pray. God, what do you want? What's your plan? What's your purpose? We know it's the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth. This property, God, how do you want it to be used? Now, let's think about the birds of the air making nests in the branches. You know, in the, the growth of the gospel throughout church history, there's been shade. And as I thought about this, for believer and unbeliever alike. And here's what I mean. When we think about these birds that are able to enjoy the shade of this tree, I want you to think about Christianity. I don't think we appreciate this as a world, as a culture. Christianity has brought about hospitals, schools, morality, ethics, compassion, truth, and ultimately salvation all over the world. In places throughout history, child sacrifice has been abolished along with cannibalism and slavery. And by the way, as Christians today in our own culture, we understand the sinfulness of abortion and we pray, trusting for God to bring an end to such an ungodly thing. Witchcraft, sexual immorality has been denounced in so many places. You know, when the gospel takes root in a community, it changes that community it changes families think about all the broken homes that have been restored and brought back together because of the power of the word of god or maybe you grew up in a family where that didn't happen but now 
Because of God's grace in your life, you read the Bible with your kids. You pray with your kids. That cycle has been broken. I know Pastor Jim, you and Kathy talked about that before, of just the faithfulness and the goodness of God to be able to see the gospel now passed on to the next generation. Orphanages have been built. Widows have been taken care of. People with disabilities have been loved on. All because of Christianity and God building his kingdom in humble, unexpected ways. And so through all of that, God's provided this great tree of his common grace and his kindness that provides shelter and protection to believers. And even though they don't recognize it, unbelievers alike all over the world. Ezekiel 17, you can look at that on your own time, talks about that. And the greatest of those, right, is salvation, regeneration, the new birth, the work of God's love and grace in our hearts. Well, let's wrap this up. Verses 33 and 34, Jesus goes on after he shares these two parables. He says, with many such parables, he spoke to wor the word to them as they were able to hear it. You know, you can go to some of the other gospels and you'll see other parables that Jesus used. And he was speaking to them as they were able to hear it, uh, depending on, I mean, Jesus knows where we're all at of just the maturity level of the people that he was talking to. It's kind of like when you are teaching a little child to read, uh, you don't start with Shakespeare, okay? You start with the ABCs and then you teach them sounds and sight words and then they get into bigger words and they begin to read little books. Like I remember reading the Rockets was the name of the, the books. So I don't know if anybody else is that old and use those little book series, but you know, those Jesus is maturing and growing his disciples through these parables. And sadly, and there's a lot of people in the context of Mark four, they don't get it. They don't have ears to hear. They don't understand what Jesus is getting at. And then verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so for those 12, he took even more time to explain to them the mysteries of his kingdom and how he was working and how he was going to work of the gospel going forth. So what's the application for all of us? What we've learned today, God grows his kingdom and he does it through very unexpected, humble ways. It doesn't take a master's degree, guys. It doesn't take a doctorate degree. Love God, love others, love his word. Charles Finney was wrong. I wasn't alive in the 1800s. Don't know him personally, but some of the things that I've read and he said, revival, the building of God's kingdom, it doesn't happen because of man. It happens because of God. You realize this morning, God can save a person right here in 90 degree weather underneath trees with not so good a technology, right? Just as well as in a nice big AC building, which there's nothing wrong with AC. You probably all would appreciate a little bit right now. The lights are down low, professional grade, quality music, amazing communicator. God can save a person out here just as easily as in that scenario. God can save somebody in Ghana 
that they're trying to find a, a tree for a little bit of shade and they just meet under a tree. Guys, it really is that simple. We got to be careful. I mean, yes, we want to do things with quality and excellence, but it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. I mean, when you read these two parables, it's dependent on God. Has the gospel taken root in your life? Have you trusted in Christ? And if you have, are you casting the seed to a lost and dying world? I want to leave you with James chapter 5. Let's turn there and then we'll pray. James 5, verses 7 and 8. Because I know sometimes we may be like, Pastor Eric, I've been doing that for a really long time. You're praying for a family member or a friend. And it's like, I just, I don't see anything. You know, is God working? And the answer is yes. James 5, verses 7 and 8. James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's just continue to be faithful. And let's continue to be patient. God has worked. God is working. And God will work through the lives of his people here. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for the reminder this morning. Just from the truth of your word that the kingdom, God, it's about you. It's about your rule and your reign and God, your kingdom comes to pass through your word, through your spirit, through your grace, through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And God, help us to be mindful of that. We don't have to try to manipulate anything or cause anything to happen. We just need to be patient. We just need to be servants and faithful. And, and then, God, we pray that you'll bring the increase. God, help us to scatter the seed help us to water help us to pray we know we're responsible to do all those things and then father help us to be content in you god help us to love you help us to enjoy you help us to love one another and to serve and father i do pray that you'll continue to use this little church as the bible says in Acts 17 those early disciples, they turned the world upside down. I pray that you would use Everglades Baptist Church to turn the world upside down. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we will worship the Lord through song. Trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light.